Uh, what's up, class? Optimus Fields at My Living Truth, and we're back for another Teacher's Lounge. We're at block height 652,783. Current price is 11,398. And uh, yeah, we're back for Teacher's Lounge. Do you want to say anything, Nick, before we start? Not too much. I, I did notice that the price went down since our uh, presentation a few minutes ago, so I guess we'll have to buy the dip real quick while we're in Teacher's Lounge. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right, well, uh, before we get on to uh, just the conversation, a casual conversation of uh, what happened last week, uh, Jessifer brought it to our attention that uh, since last week's show, we called uh, The Floor is Set. So if you watch last week's show... We were over here, uh, I, I guess I would say bullshitting that the floor is set. We had no idea that the floor was set. And then the very next day, Bitcoin went from, what was it, like 10.3 to 11.4 or 11.6 or something like that. So, yeah, we're, we're just going to gloat a little bit and, and uh, tell everyone that, yeah, we're, we're prophetic over here in Bitcoin kindergarten. And uh, the floor is set, guys. Pump, you know, let's go, baby. Pump it to the moon. Um, but, uh, next topic, uh, or I guess another housekeeping. I don't know if, uh, you guys were aware, but we were talking about BitMEX last week and I guess on Thursday, Arthur Hayes and Samuel Reed both stepped down from BitMEX. So if you're not following what was going on from uh, last week's pod, that is some, uh, some recent news about it. I don't know if anyone wants to jump in on that. I didn't know they stepped down. Is do they think they're going to be a, it's going to get them out of prosecution by doing that or something? Honestly, I yeah, I, I don't exactly know, but I just saw that they uh they stepped down from their positions. Yeah, I mean they they they're going to try to they brought someone in uh that has regulatory regulatory sorry about that regulatory experience. So, and the fact that they stepped in just kind of you know they they they're trying to they're trying to you know get it all. KYC kosher, so to speak, so they, they can continue operating the business. Man, BitMEX is a cash cow, you know, like that, oh, that, yeah. you know, it, I don't think it has a lot of overhead, you know, so and it's just collecting fees from the trades and whatnot, and it has a lot of volume. So, you know, would you just let it die? You know, well, so I would imagine I find, Arthur can retire by now, but whatever. What Some I find super bullish, Jim, is the yeah. fact that, um, is the fact that they got charged criminally by the United States, which is like one of the most powerful countries in the world. And the fact that they could just keep on operating like nothing ever happened. And that's only because it's in Bitcoin. Oh, that's the best part. It's almost like, you know, thumbing their nose at them. Um, but at this point now, I'm hearing this news. It's like, all right, now they're capitulating. They're, they talked to some attorneys who said, yo, dude, you better back up. Because, you know, Arthur Hayes is a pretty bold guy for him to step down. is For me, it's, it seems extreme to see that him do that, being the guy he's been for the last few years, you know, running that, that exchange over there in the Seychelles to keep away from all the oppressive governments, and he's been getting away with it. And whatever, it sucks that he even had to go halfway around the world to do it, but uh, there's the long arm of the U.S. government because it's got its claws into everything reach around the globe and stop a company on the other side of the planet. It's unbelievable. Such a BS. Totally. They were but still... It's only because they control the money. 
And once, one day, one day, they won't. Hope I get to see it. But that's really it. That's why we're in this Bitcoin thing, man. More than, you know, number go up, even though we all love that part. This is freedom technology. This, this could take away government oppression for future generations. Oh, absolutely. Even though that they, they had arrested uh, people, they were trying to shut down BitMEX. BitMEX was still processing withdrawals. Like, exactly. governments can't control Bitcoin. Like, right, they BitMEX literally was literally giving stop... them the biggest middle finger. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't stop the actual functionality, but they can stop the people by threatening their freedom, basically. You know, we're going to come grab you and stick you in a box. I mean, the one guy, they arrested him, and I think he got himself bailed out, but he was in the States. That's why they could grab him. You know, so, mm-hmm. like, Arthur doesn't want to have to look over his shoulder the rest of his life, so he's saying, his attorneys are going, hey, listen, you got to back up a little here. This is real. You know, so they couldn't stop the functionality of moving cryptocurrencies around. It's not just Bitcoin. It's all the other shit coins they deal with. But the point is, you're right. They couldn't stop what they were doing, but they can stop the people from let's say doing what they did in the past, you know, being who they were in this case, running, running the thing, stepping back, you know, continue to earn money off of it probably and and not be the face of it and get away, hopefully get away with having done it and not get prosecuted, not go to jail, change whatever they got to change just because it's bullshit because the government will send people with guns and, you know, they literally will throw you in a cage. Look at what they did to Ross, you know? So, uh this this really a threat a, a real actual threat that that people will show up and and kidnap them and put them in a box so um it's sad but whatever uh it's good but nick to your point bitcoin keeps going which is the best part because honey badger doesn't die yeah man anyone else yeah. want to chime in yeah, I have a question for you guys, because sure. uh, Surfer Jim, you brought up a point that I love, man. Like I, the number go up is great, but this is, yeah, this is freedom technology, and you know, one day, and nobody knows when it will be, but one day, we'll, I believe, we'll be on a Bitcoin standard, and I know everybody else here does too, and they won't have that power, and that's a really beautiful thing. But I'm curious, uh, my question for you guys is, when do you think that'll happen? For me, I think it'll happen. Uh, I'm a little more pessimistic. I think it'll happen possibly, you know, a hundred years from now, something far like that. Far too bearish, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been, I've been uh, regularly saying one to two generations of people, which which could be as much as a hundred years, literally, um, from the time somebody's born right now. If you were to say that's a new generation starting, but. Um, a lot of people, the baby boomer generation has to die. Literally, I hate to say it that way, but they got to die. And people that are younger than them that don't run things right now, that are adopting technologies that are popular right now, like this kind of technology we're using, or cryptocurrencies. In my case, I only believe in Bitcoin, but I, I'm using it generically. Just the idea of it. There are people out there that are not in power now that will be one day. They may not even realize it. They don't even know the path of their life and one day they can find themselves in a position of power. Others are trying to get there. The point is though, a whole generation will help it along a lot. Two generations will make a huge difference. So it could be 50 years. It could be, it could happen a lot faster though. Exponentially, man, when you see what COVID just did to so many things in society, not just 
people's perception of their neighbors or this virus or anything else, the amount of businesses that have been ruined worldwide, the amount of freedoms that have been abused worldwide, um, it's off the charts. And this is like one of the biggest black swans of humanity to, to see something like this be the, uh, you know, thrust upon all the citizens of the world by the governments of the world is massively crazy. And this could change a lot of people's perspective on how things work way faster than any of us think. People could adopt Bitcoin so much faster than any of us believed. There's a possibility a million dollar Bitcoin's two years away. I would be shocked, but it's certainly not impossible. And if we got a million dollar Bitcoin, you got a lot of the world looking at thing and oh, I don't know. It's I like to believe in both scenarios. Like it could happen really fast, but it's, I think it's more likely to take a while. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on board with what Jim is saying, and I think there's there's two major components, right? Just to kind of add to what Jim is saying, like. So statistically, right, about 80% of millennials own some form of cryptocurrency, right? Um, and But you have to understand that most of the wealth is held by boomers, right? And they have a lot of incentives, you know, because remember, like, their whole lives has been, especially the people that work in the financial industry, their whole lives, you know, they've been kind of brainwashed and indoctrinated in, you know, the current legacy system. And all of a sudden, Bitcoin comes and it just puts everything on its ass. You know, obviously, by nature, those guys aren't going to like it very much. Right. So I think that what will happen this decade, without a doubt, is you're going to see a clash. And you're already seeing that. You know, there's there's news that trickles out every week about some country. You know, I, I think this week was Spain. The week before, it was the Department of Justice releasing a, a document. You know, uh, it was called the, they called it the cryptocurrency framework, right? Uh, they also released, you know, their thoughts on end-to-end -end encryption, right? So they're fighting a losing battle. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of blood this decade when it comes to how governments are going to deal with Bitcoin, you know. They, they 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 don't like it. They don't like it. And if they had the they had the power, they would have shut it down by now. But they can't, right? So it's going to be very interesting. And to be honest with you, it, to be honest with you guys, it scares me a little bit, man, because the U.S. government does not mess around. Okay, that's just that's known, right? You have to understand that we invaded a country, we we destroyed it just on the thought that they had, you know, weapons of mass destruction, all that BS, right? So. Imagine if, you know, all of a sudden this this, you know, this currency that created on the Internet all of a sudden could potentially unseat the U.S.'s global reserve power, you know, so that that kind of scares me a lot, you know, so and, and you already see the, the Treasury kind of taking this position where they really they, they, they say they just don't like Bitcoin and Trump went on and he says he didn't mention he didn't like Bitcoin either. So they're already planting the seeds you know, for how they're going to approach this in the future. I don't think they'll be able to win. You know, you can't put this genie back in the bottle. And a lot of people, you know, kind of misunderestimate the fact that all of us, all of us in this room, we really appreciate our self-sovereignty. None of us could go back. I mean, at least me, right? I know a couple of us here too that I know, that, that I know that are, that, that are, you know, that we've talked a lot that we'll never go back to just having money in a bank account, you know, and having that money lent out to other people in fractional reserve banking. So I think they underestimate that, 
you know, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Nico, um, I, I, I am, I concur with what you're saying, but where did you get the number that 80% of millennials hold like a, any crypto? So I saw that, that feels high. I that took, feels like really high to me. Yeah. So I got that number from a presentation that Bobby Lee uh, did, and it was a really good presentation. And it was talking about the, the, the general idea of the presentation was basically the, the great wealth transfer and how the different generations invested in different asset classes. So, for example, the, the, the boomer generation invests, I think it was either heavily, you know what, I think it was the boomer generation invested a lot in real estate. And then the generation X invested a lot in stocks, equities, you know, securities, all that jazz, right? And the, the millennial generations kind of left out in the dust because we are compared to our parents, we are some of the, you know, we're very poor, you know, compared to how they were doing at this moment in their lives, right? So, um, it, it, so what he was making the case that a lot of millennials are trusting and zoomers, you know, next generation are, are trusting. Yeah. Thank you, Justifer. Justifer just, he's the gift that keeps on giving, man. I love it. So, it, so, you know, the, the, so it, he's making the case that, uh, cryptocurrency, he said cryptocurrencies, I believe it's Bitcoin is going to be this great wealth transfer from the baby boomers from generation X to the millennials. Right. And I, that's where I got the 80, 20 percent number, 80 percent number. For sure. Um, and yeah, just to like add, I guess I, I've been kind of thinking the same same vein that Nico just talked about um, that, you know, the blood blood is about to spill at a in the near future. And then just to answer Andrew's question, I kind of I kind of fall uh where jim was saying like i have this idea that like 20 years the fastest you know the majority of people will be on the, on the bitcoin standard hyper bitcoinization but to really like take over the world i just you know i i'm i'm pretty bearish as well i i think like you know somewhere between like 50 to 100 years for it to really take over everything but maybe maybe we uh overshoot it and it's in in two decades three decades and bitcoin is the world reserve money so who knows you know number go up we'll we'll solve all these questions anyone else want to put i just looked up i just looked up a picture of bobby lee it might not be bobby lee but i know it was i know it was some dude that he kind of looks like to the dude i'm talking about i'm gonna find him (laughs) yeah you uh you might need a better credible source bro <laughs> yeah, I just looked him up and I'm like I'm like that's not the guy. <laughs> um well, does anyone want to put some more input in or we can kind of continue the conversation that we had before we started recording and that was on the, you know, Twitter's quote-unquote censorship today and that whole saga that happened. Um I you guys were you guys were going pretty ham so if you guys want to like kind of just restate what you guys were saying i, I don't know who started the conversation but well, i want to jump in about the uh central banks and all that all right yeah sure. and andrew wrote something about that the central bank digital currencies and the g g g8 summit or whatever and all the bankers are like we're putting together you know regulatory guidelines for central bank digital currencies and they're definitely trying they understand 
there is a threat. And what's really happening is that they're finally having to compete in the free market. Central banks are finally having to compete in a free market, whereas they've always had this monopoly over money. Now they have to compete. And some people, they're going to keep using central bank money. And you know, as, as, as time goes on, more people are going to realize that it's not sound money. It's not fair money. It's not transparent. Depending on how long that's going to take, hopefully, hopefully not 100 years, hopefully, you know, more like 30 years, 40 years, but just we've come a long way from, you know, it being laughed at to now global summits of central bankers talking about it and trying to like keep up. Yeah, I agree, man. We definitely have come a long way. Um, I just, and I know we also all agree on this basically, but they hate cash. They hate cash. Like even in Mexico where I live, where like 60% of transactions are in cash, they're even trying to have their, you know, their payment systems all over card here. So there's clearly an agenda and uh, there's definitely going to be a time when we all wake up and most people are not able to transact in cash. And that's a pretty scary thought. So uh, I think there's definitely a war going on with CBDCs and Bitcoin. But as far as it replacing the entire like global monetary standard, that's a big process. You know, that's, that's literally 50% of every single transaction is the money. And uh, just to, just to even value things in Bitcoin alone, I think will, will take a lot of time personally. Yeah. That, that's kind of, Andrew, that's kind of why I, I do the long shot of like, man, it just seems like so far out there for every transaction to be Bitcoin. Hence why I'm like, yeah, a hundred years, but well, just just thinking of the exponential growth of technology and how fast it moves, you know, it might it it could possibly be in our lifetime, and and that just is mind blowing. So, you know, the the bullish is the bull in me is like, yeah, twenty years and and we're good to go. And you know, it's like even with the internet right now, what's I forget what the statistics are, but there's still like four billion people that aren't even on the internet and we consider the internet a great success and we take it for granted in, in our everyday life. And so maybe that's kind of what we will look at Bitcoin in the future in, in 20, 30 years or whatever the, um, the, the equivalent date is of the internet today and, and Bitcoin in the future will be like, okay, it's a complete success and, and there's still billions of people that aren't on it. So, who you know like who knows exactly i don't have a crystal ball yeah i was going to say that it's like a sliding scale um more and more adoption more and more exposure uh higher the number goes up more people will let's just say for argument's sake we you know 10 15 years from now the any any amount of bitcoin any of us owns is enough to retire on and live the rest of your life because there's enough people out there will accept it for goods and services even if it's an underground market, even if it's a, a, a small market in the world, um, that Bitcoin will never go away. It will always be held by somebody because of its scarcity and, and its uniqueness. And as it disperses through the population of the world, 
everybody someday could come to the realization that what's the point of the stupid government money, including the people running governments, wanting to get paid in the better money that the other people are using instead of the crap we produce on our ledger, you know, that they can print, uh, you know, just like they do now. So there is this very slow, bloodless, um, Nico, instead of having to be very bloody, uh, where it just takes a while, but it just never can get stopped. And enough people look at it as a thing of value that anybody who wants to can live their life in a Bitcoin ecosystem. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you can just sort of opt out. Now, can some jurisdiction make it illegal, make it a hassle? Absolutely. And you maybe you can just move to a better place that they don't do that to you. You know, so there's I feel like there's going to be lots of options because there will be people running countries that won't want to do that to their citizens. And they'll say, no, 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 come here, bring your smarts and your money and come hang out over in, in our borders and we won't oppress you with your Bitcoin. So slowly and it won't take much. A small country can get it going. So just like MicroStrategy buying a bunch of Bitcoin there, I was listening to Michael Saylor today. He talks about his company as being small or like, you know, not a big player in the world world scheme of things. Uh, but, you know, they're still having a huge effect because boardrooms all over the world are talking about it. You got to know that. Listen to guys like Preston Pish, he'll tell you, uh, you know, or Jeff Booth. He's he's on boards of directors. He knows he's, he knows what they're talking about. He's there. Uh, Bitcoin's it's it's on everybody's radar now. The big players, the people that got a lot of money in the world, they're all considering it and starting to educate themselves about it. It could happen exponentially faster than any of us can imagine, and it could still take two, three generations. No, no way to know, but I can envision both both scenarios. I like the uh, the bloodless part, though. I don't want to see people get hurt, you know. Yeah, but dude, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I just see I just see blood, man. Hey, look, look. I I'll, do I'll, too. I see. I'll back up. I'll back up. I'll back up. I'll give you I'll give you like historical examples and analogies, right? Why I think there'll be blood, right? So back in the nineties, uh, so the internet, basically, what's going on right now, where you see the media, like the traditional news outlets, like they start lying and they start they start taking they start making opinions rather than reporting the news. Well, that's all caused by the internet. Right. And the, the, the Bitcoin is basically uh, the is it's the Internet. It's it's basically the Internet. Right. So, uh, OK, let me back up. OK, so in the 90s, um, when the Internet was first born, the telecommunications companies made most of their money on long distance and all that stuff. Right. And when the Internet came around, that kind of destroyed the long distance market. Right. So the long distance, I mean, the telecommunications companies all, you know, they all teamed up and they're like, no, we're not going to let this happen. But the internet basically forced them to evolve, to become, you know, internet, internet service providers. The internet did the same thing to the music industry, right? You know, with LimeWire, Napster, all that jazz, and that eventually evolved to Spotify, right? But the record companies before they would have to sell CDs. That was a lot more profitable. There's a lot more margin there. And then all of a sudden you could just, you know, pay $15 a month. You can have every, any song known to man, or you could just download it illegally. Right. So Bitcoin is doing the same to money. It's disintermediating the money right before, you know, if you use a credit card, you're not you're not doing business with somebody. What you're doing is you're going you're talking to your bank, your bank talks to their bank and, and it goes through that. And Bitcoin's basically saying, no, you don't need to do that. 
You just need to talk to someone directly. You just, that's how you exchange, right? And in the media, it's the same thing that's happening right now. The New York Times, all that stuff, you know, the CNN, all that, you know, BS, right? They're freaking out because you see platforms like YouTube and Twitter. And then all of a sudden, anybody could be a publicist. Anybody could be, you know, a, a, a news person. Anyone could start their own channel. The cost is very low, right? So the internet is disintermediating money. And if you look at it historically, the telecommunications companies freaked the hell out. They hated it. The, the, the music companies, the record companies, they hate it. They all, they all died or they had to evolve or they died, right? Uh, Blockbuster is another good example where you'd have to physically go get your thing, whatever. The internet made it possible where you could just stream it at home, right? So the internet is this, 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 this huge disruptor, right? And Milton Friedman, like back in the 1980s, is an amazing economist, basically said that that, you know, the Internet was going to come before Bitcoin was it was like 20 years before Bitcoin was even a thing. He had a famous quote where he says, look, the Internet is going to radically reduce the role of government if a reliable form of e-cash is invented. And that's Bitcoin. Right. So if you look at it from a historical context, Right. Every time an industry has been radically disintermediated or radically, you know, shook up, so to speak, the companies in power. And unfortunately, in the financial industry, those are the most well-funded, tentacle, corrupted government backed entities on the planet. Right. 2008, all the banks got bailed out. You know, great example. You know, like, dude, I think it's inevitable that uh, there's going to be a, a butt of heads, so to speak. I'm kind of in uh, in Jim's camp here because uh, I, I think it's like fundamentally just nonviolent uh, because like everyone, like if you look at a crowd of people, like a government is pissed that, you know, Bitcoin is winning and it's just looking upon its crowd of people, like spot the Bitcoiner. Like it, I, you don't know what we look like. I mean, hell, most of you don't know what I look like. So it's like, I'm just this hidden operative, you know, when I'm not completely advertising them, you know, super deep into Bitcoin. Uh, it's it's optional. I can hide it easily. So, I mean, good good luck to them the, chasing after but me. That's the thing, though, Jessifer, right? Like, if they make it, you know, if they make I'm I'm not saying, like, I'm, you know, I can't predict the future. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm telling you that something's going to happen. You know, and something's going to happen where, you know, they, they've already been planting the seeds, man, where, you know, because the, these financial in institutions, bro, like this is the death of them, bro. Like the banking as we know it, I don't think will survive the decade. Like the, the, the you know, like the, the Wells Fargo where you go in, you, you, you send a wire, like even it like just by cash app being a thing and having an account where you could just get paid directly to cash app. Now there's no reason to have you know, the traditional bank, right? Like the, the only reason I keep it is because I, I need to be able to send wires. But once they figure that out, then there's no reason why I keep a traditional banking bank account. And those big banks are huge and they're very well funded. They're some of the biggest companies in the United States. So if you think that they're just going to, you know, turn away and let their business die, bro, like that's not going to happen. They're going to do something, bro. You know, I just don't know what it is. I don't know whatever, but they're not going to play fair. 
you know, they're either going to make the on and off ramps like extremely impossible. You know, I think they're trying to do that already with KYC. I think Matt O'Dell said it the best, bro. He said, you know, first, uh, you know, the KYC and then, you know, and then they'll make it illegal to, you know, possess your own Bitcoin. You only have to possess you can only possess Bitcoin with a bank or something like that. So you listen, know what I'm trying to tell you? if you listen back to what you just said, you first talked about the banks and then you talked about something that was going to take place um, without distinguishing that the thing that was going to take place was not something that banks were going to do, but something that governments would do. That is set up laws that require banks to operate a certain way. Now, of course, we know that banks and governments are very intimately tied together because of the money. So as the money, as society learns about hard money through Bitcoin, which they will, even regular people. I red-pilled two gutter guys today. I had their undivided attention. They were fascinated. I explained what Bitcoin is. I gave them that business card I made that's got all those resources on it. And these guys are solid, hardworking dudes. I've worked with them in the past. And um, people are going to learn that this is better money. And some people won't care how people say that. They'll just trust the person that said that. And they'll say, if I can get some, you know, somebody I trust said it's worth getting some. So as it gets dispersed out into society, um, these banks and governments, some of the people in the banks and in the government are going to get Bitcoin. They're going to learn about Bitcoin. They're going to realize that they're working for people who are creating a Ponzi scheme and they're actually part of it. Some people's consciences are going to change. And even if not everybody does, because they want to suck what they can, what power they can out of the system, slowly but surely, it could still get uh, interrupted and disrupted, where people just stop using them and they just lose their power because everybody's using a different form of money. Uh, you know, governments will try and put every law they can in the way. But right now, a lot of the laws that they say you got to pay taxes and stuff on Bitcoin, there's enough creative solutions around that right now. That you, the government will never know you have it, changed it around to any other currency, and they'll never know how to get the tax they say you owe them. If you want it to go that way, it's possible. You know, most people always say, hey, pay your taxes. Don't try to cheat. You don't need to go to jail, of course. Right. If you live in this United States, you don't need the government coming chasing you because they say you owe some money. Uh, but could you get away with it? Is there tools out there already to move your cryptocurrency around whether it's bitcoin or any other without somebody knowing yeah i think so i think there's a lot of ways you could do it especially if you're really smart so that's only going to get more and more and more there's a lot of reasons why this could be not only a, a bloodless revolution but a pretty quick one but i still lean towards a generation or two because it especially if it's bloodless it'll just take a, a while some rules get put in place then they'll get overthrown they get pushed back against people figure out how to get around and whatever, you know, government's not dying anytime soon. That's for sure. But bro, remember that like Jim, I, I completely agree with you, but remember dude, like first they made fun of Bitcoin. Okay. Then they said they couldn't work. It couldn't work right now. Bitcoin's tentacles are getting into public companies and public companies are using it as a reserve asset. Right. Governments can't just ignore it anymore, bro. It's no joke. And this next epoch where Bitcoin's market cap is easily going to hit one trillion, okay, you can no longer just ignore it, dude. It, it yeah, but they also can't regulate it. Yeah, but they also uh, will be pressured beyond belief. They can't just regulate it out of existence and make it so that people can't hold it, use it, own it, 
So if governments acknowledge that you're allowed to have it, it's just like anything else. They acknowledge some certain business can do X, Y, or Z and somebody else can't. You don't have a license to practice medicine on an animal, so you're not a veterinarian. It's like anything else. If they want to license those people that can have Bitcoin, and then people will work outside of that like people do all the time. There's unlicensed contractors everywhere. There's unlicensed hairdressers everywhere. You know what I mean? Like government says you got to have a license and people go, fuck you. Excuse me, Nico. <laughs> Never hear me say that. You know what I mean, right? So if there's hard money out there, people can use it and no one can see them using it. Like uh, Jessica said, you know how many millions of people out there are, have touched Bitcoin, have Bitcoin, and nobody on the planet knows who they are, except maybe the exchange they got it from, sure. But does the government have the resources to go after everybody who's got a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin in a hardware wallet at their house? No, it's never going to happen. They, they just can't, physically can't. There isn't enough people. There's enough computer power. They, no matter how big you think government is, they're, not, they're only so big. And the population of the country is way bigger. So, you know, the, the, whatever. It, I hope it's peaceful and I hope it happens quick. That'd be awesome. I hope I get to see it. That would it. be awesome. Jim, did you just sorry Jim yourself? <laughs> he did. No, I said sorry, Nico. I said sorry, Nico. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, how about somebody else chime in here? We got a whole bunch of people that aren't saying Yeah, I, I think one of the major things they might do is try and license miners. So, like, Oh, if you're mining bitcoins yeah. in the United States, yeah, you have to get a license, and we have to know you have to be incorporated, you have to know who you are. Yeah, but again, you know, people money. might just people would just would leave the, the country industry. and go yeah. to a place. But yeah, that, that's it. That's the thing. It's a worldwide business. Able. Exactly. Any rule that any country puts in, you can just move. If you're capable and a miner, it's got a lot of money, can just move. Whatever. There's a lot of options. There's just a lot, of, and one country can't shut the system down anyway. So the miners that already aren't in that jurisdiction are totally unaffected anyway. The system keeps going and blocks keep coming. So yeah, wasn't it uh, Venezuela where they were uh, like arresting miners? They were. I thought they wanted. Didn't they want Nico? You would know this. Didn't they want to register everybody or something, and you had to pay them like yeah. a tax or a fee or something? like so? They I knew everybody was. was people mining so, in Venezuela. Yeah. So uh, when I left, right, I left in twenty. 20- I left in the beginning. Yeah, so the beginning of 2017, I had to move here, and um, and it was literally because the government start. It wasn't like this, like it wasn't like a a major government thing. It's just the the customs officials started wising up, and they would just start seizing the machines to go and just mine it themselves, right? Um, but then uh, then they made it like illegal to the point where, but I, I was out of there already, so. I wasn't on the ground, but they made it from what I heard, they made it illegal to the point that, you know, they were seizing these machines and they would take pictures of them just like those like big drug busts, you know, where like the, the, you know, the DA agents would just surround all the drugs with their guns. They would do the same thing with miners. It was hilarious. Like not the people, but like the mining machines themselves to like prove a point that it was bad. And then the Venezuelan government announced a couple of weeks ago, it made quite a splash on Twitter that uh they were basically making it legal but you had to mine under the government pool but i was i responded to that basically saying that it it was really good news because it basically made that basically said that mining is now legal in venezuela like officially and it would be impossible to enforce you can't enforce it's literally impossible bro because you could point that miner basically to any uh 
any IP address on the internet. You know, you, you, you there's no way to, to detect. And from my from my knowledge, there's no way to fucking know. Sorry, Jim. There's no way to know that that mm-hmm. it's coming from that specific miner, right? Like it's impossible to enforce. So I don't think they would do it on the miner level. I think that they would do it on the the fiat on and off ramps, right? Because that's the like easiest. They already do. Because that's that's where they catch everybody, like all the criminals yeah. and all the whatever the people that go to jail. They catch you because you're selling Bitcoin into dollars, right? And then you're stepping into their realm of of you know the ultimate shitcoin, which is the dollar, right? So, um, yeah, man, that's where I, I, to be honest with you, Jim, like I, I am just very, uh, it's very nice to hear hear somebody be optimistic about that, but it does it does have me a little worried, you know, so worried listen, to the point that I have my just... bug out plan. Well, that's good. You got a plan. The thing is what you just said, people selling to dollars. I believe like much of the people in this um, chat right now, at least the ones that I know, are holding their Bitcoin for quite some time because that's the whole point of it. We want this to become an adopted worldwide currency. And in in the process of that happening, the the value of each individual unit is, is likely to go up dramatically. So to get rid of it in the next 10, 20, 30 years, if you got that much life left to live and some of you've got way more than that, um, could be really stupid to do as long as you're earning a living and, you know, providing for yourself, giving yourself a decent, halfway decent life. To start spending your Bitcoin now makes no sense at all. Uh, and so so that alone is going to change, you know, the whole dynamic of how it plays out. People are not going to be, if in fact, like, so there's a whole actuarial calculation you could do about right now, how long should you, are, are you likely to live? And that's how insurance companies decide how much to charge you for life insurance, right? So at any given age, you're going to live a certain amount of time. So at 25, maybe you're going to live to 75, so 50 years. But at 75, you're not going to die tomorrow. You still got 15 years. So wow, that's already 90. So how'd you get the extra 15 years? As long as you live to a certain point, you've always got a little more left. You could look at your investment investments the same way. At some point, you could start living off the amount of Bitcoin you have. As the value keeps going up, you could keep draining some out of it and never, ever run out as long as you don't live longer than it takes to drain that that amount. And so somebody like me, who's older than a lot of the guys here, I plan to live off my Bitcoin in 20 years. Because if I live 20 years, I might not only have much more than about 10 or 20 after that. And hopefully my stack will be worth enough to get me 20 years of life and pay my way. So now I'm going to be spending my Bitcoin into the world as Bitcoin. It's never going back to fiat. The government's never going to know, and they're not going to get a penny in tax because the people taking it from me aren't going to say anything, and neither am I. So that's how it's going to change. Slowly like that, no blood. How's that for some optimism? Optimist. (laughs) I'm with it. It sounds good to me. So Isaac, why don't you jump in here, bro? His name's Weenicus, bro. Weenicus. <laughs> uh yeah, I mean any anyone got some thoughts? I know I know oh. like yeah, hit it. Unmute yourself. You're yeah, good. my bad. I, I've been kind of in and out, so I don't have much to say at the moment other than I love Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I mean, I I can just throw throw a few people under the bus, but we we can um we can we can keep it moving if if uh you guys want to, if everyone's a little scared tonight. 
Okay. Um, well, you guys were, like I said earlier, you guys were talking about uh, the Twitter censorship earlier. Um, I don't know if you guys want to rehash that conversation you had, Nico, Bit Consultants, and whoever that was before I got in. I, I think I think Twitter crossed the Rubicon, man. Like, you know, before it was like fact-checking, you know, Donald Trump. We all know that the Twitter people are left-leaning. And, you know, I don't care about political, you know, like whether you lean left or lean right, I, I honestly don't care, right? But what I do care is the fact that this company that's pr- protected under Section 230, um, which is a law in the United States that basically it applies to telecommunications companies too, right? Where it's like the tele uh, the the yeah like AT&T or Verizon's not responsible you know they they can't you know censor like you know if one if one of their clients they know is a republican AT&T can't just censor their speech right so twitter and all these platforms are protected under that because you know supposedly like they're not responsible for what people post on their platform right so it makes them immune no one could sue them so they're no longer you know, platforms, now they're publishers, right? Because they're saying, okay, look, you know, this, this article, you know, let us do the thinking for you, you know, like you're not, you know, this, this article is no longer worth, and it is worthy, man. It was trending and everything. And because I I suspect, but I don't know for sure, they're trying to uh, protect uh, a certain political candidate, you know, they're willing to censor it. And that's really, really dangerous. And I think that if one political candidate gets elected, I don't think that Section 230, as it stands today, is going to stand. I think they're going to repeal it. Because it's really dangerous that a private company is actively censoring, you know, the president of that specific country. Well, isn't um, that like, the debate though that they are a private company and they can do whatever they want on their platform but it's like twitter's kind of become i don't know if you would call it like a public utility or you know something like that but well that's why they're protected on optimus because they're so-called a public uh like they're so-called a platform right so they're legally protected no one could sue them right but they're no longer just a platform. They're a publisher now because they're deciding what Im- information goes and what information doesn't go. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you could argue that it is a private company, but dude, they're acting like a publicist. I think a lot of the issue was the fact that people were trying to post a link to a New York Post article. So literally the fact that the link was dropped in made the tweet disappear over and over. So they they literally went out of their way to set up an algorithm for one specific link on the internet. No, but they also started banning people from posting the tweet too. Like, if okay, so again, a, an yeah. algorithm, an algorithm that did both. It wasn't a person putting pushing a button. So they set it up. They said, "Oh shit, we can't let this post article go out because we've determined it's not accurate or it might not be accurate," which is pretty sad because it seems damn accurate to me. But um, you know, the joke is that. In the article, it discusses the fact that um, Biden's son uh, was used for political access or, you know, uh, you know, access to the Ukrainian government to his vice president father. And this videotape of Biden sitting there saying how a, a thing happened. And he jokes about how they said he better the guy better get fired. And sure enough, he got fired. I don't know. I can't remember the wording he used, but. The whole point was 
they there was going to be an investigation into the company his son worked for, and a guy in the government got fired, so the investigation got squashed. And people, you know, they apparently Twitter doesn't want you to know that that might have happened or something because that story's been out there already. It's just another article by the Post because it's referencing some emails that were just uncovered or something. Uh, apparently, some dude in Delaware got a copy of a hard drive of a of a uh, laptop that needed uh, work done on it. And on the laptop, the emails uh, having to do with Biden's son or something. So I guess that's the hearsay part. Like, oh, you can't trust it because it's, you know, like some dude from Delaware. I don't know. The point is, it's the same damn story that somebody got paid and somebody got played. <laughs> paid to play, dude, right? It's crazy. It's crazy, Jim, that they're accusing that the thing that they just accused Donald Trump again. Like, I don't lean left. I don't lean right. <laughs> you guys you, like I'm not trying to get political like that. But what I am is like, dude, the fact that they just accused Donald Trump for the last three years it's really deep state right they just accused no, i know of, dude of it's dealing totally with left leaning i get all that but uh, i'm just saying the re- you know i think the dust up today was about the fact that this one particular story kept getting booted by everybody and like you said people were getting blocked or whatnot but it's been the same narrative for years now yeah i, I hear you it's it terrifies me man it terrifies me that you know it's really like, sad one one you know one political party is just like, you know, like I, I, if Donald Trump did the same thing, you know, he would have been arrested by now, you know, and like, again, like, I don't care that he's right. I don't care that he's left. I, I, what I care about is freedom of speech. You know, I think it's very important and very important to Bitcoin, to be honest. So I, I, that worries me, man. Yeah. Worries me that such a like a tiny little platform, you know, has so much power <laughs> over people. Politics is like one sports team that has multiple guys that want to be quarterback. And they have to fight it out all the time. And they're accusing each other of shit. And they're sabotaging each other and loosening up their cleats and doing whatever they got to do so the other guy doesn't perform on the field. I mean, that's all this is. They're on the same fucking team. Excuse me. They're all on the same damn team and they're not on our team. They just fight with each other. A bunch of wimpy teenagers. A joke. Yeah, I've always liked the the saying, uh, two wings of the same bird. If when you think of the Republican Democrats... But uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with Nico on the just the hypocrisy of it all. Like, it's just atrocious. But um, furthermore, I'm not sure if you guys listened to the latest uh, Tales from the Crypt with Whitney Webb. Uh, Marty dropped it. I think it was last night or yesterday night, like basically 24 hours ago. And uh, she was saying essentially exactly what Twitter was or what exactly what Twitter did is what they were going to do. And it's essentially what Nico was saying that, um, anything on social media platforms that is talking bad about Joe Biden, they're going to essentially either market or smear it or consider you like a domestic terrorist or of sorts. And literally 24 hours later after the episode dropped, they did exactly what she was saying. And so, you like you guys should listen to it. it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was prophetic because she she obviously know or knew what was uh like the game plan or their 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 uh what their game plan was going to be. Sorry, and um it, it was just a trip. Like seeing Twitter uh do what they did and then and then try to backtrack it afterwards and be like, oh, you know, we we messed up the algorithms and and we you know there was something that broke our terms of services in the pictures and it's not what, you know, was meant to happen or what have you. 
and then listen to that that podcast with Whitney Webb. I think it's episode two hundred one, and and I was just like, wow, like you you couldn't have dropped this at a better time, you know, to drop it the day before that some some wild shit happens on Twitter. And then it, she's talking exactly of what they're going to do. And then they basically do it and then backtrack on it. You know, whether whether Jack is is uh, being um, truthful in, in those posts on Twitter is, you know, maybe maybe neither here nor there. But just the fact that, I don't know, it feels like they got caught and, and then they backtracked a bit on it. It's just like you know it's very suspicious and and it just it just smells fishy in in my opinion so yeah the hypocrisy is, is just horrible and and like nika said to see you know the deep state or quote unquote deep state do that and and just get called out because you you know like the internet's a thing you you can't put the genie back into the bottle I like we're you know we're all we're all decentralized nodes on twitter and what have you and and the information gets leaked and and you just like can't put it away so you know, kind of inspiring, but also like, man, the the powers that be are, are definitely working overtime against us. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I think Google and Facebook and a bunch of other places were censoring it too, not as uh, overtly as Twitter, because obviously Twitter is kind of a little bit higher on the information pyramid. Stuff really propagates Twitter and then goes to other platforms, but. Overall, the trend that I see that is happening is they're just trying to condition the public to be dependent on, you know, fact checkers and single source of truth. And, oh, this information is what you need to listen to and don't listen to these people. I mean, you saw it a lot with COVID where legitimate doctors and scientists were like, we think it's a bad idea to do huge lockdowns and, you know, put people out of work and do all this stuff. And narrative was like those people were completely shut out completely you know blocked from from being seen so the world is becoming a place where information and things are changing so fast that most people do not know what to do and so the government like always steps in or now even corporate interests step in and say oh we'll we'll guide you we'll show you which way to go what's right what's wrong what to listen to and it just goes back to religion as well that's what religion used to do and still does it's just making dependent people and putting themselves in authority positions where you know we know we know the way follow us do this do that i think that as the population ages and i agree with all your points uh the consultants and i think that as the as the population ages i think it's the same thing as bitcoin they're screwed you know, they cannot be information gatekeepers yeah. when the information in America, you know, is, it, it, you know, as, as much as we say it's censored, it's really not. Because if you compare it to like, you know, China, where like literally the state will delete something, you know, if they don't like, if they don't agree with what you're saying. So Twitter compared to like China and other uh, uh, totalitarian countries, you know, it's it's really not that bad. And And the problem is that if you have a society that's so open like that, you know, as the population ages, you know, you can't maintain that. You can't maintain that, you know, that charade, you know, like think about our generation, like the millennial generation. We don't trust any of like traditional news outlets. We go on Twitter to get our news, you know. So, you know, and we don't listen to the blue check marks. We listen to, you know, the trends or, you know, whatever popping. Right. And that tends to be the truth, believe it or not. Right. 
So, um, so yeah, man, I think that they're fighting a losing battle, man. I, I, I can't, I, I can't see a world in the future unless like Twitter and YouTube and all that stuff gets outlawed. You know, I can't see a world where those things are legal and the truth not coming up, you know, and as the population ages and, and, you know, like, especially like our generation, uh, optimists, like, dude, we're like the first generation that grew up with the internet. Right. So I, I think I, I just don't see that happening, man, in the future. Yeah, I, I definitely think their their efforts are futile ultimately because I mean I've always often referred to Bitcoin as an evolution rather than a revolution. You know, everyone's like revolution this, revolution that. If you look at the etymology, revolution just takes you in circles. You know, evolution is what exists in nature that surmounts everything before it. And nothing can stop it because it's a whole new, it's a whole new paradigm of, of existing in whatever you know realm it is, whether it's money or so or sharing information or sharing um, the sharing economy is another good example. Just things that evolve the way humans interact, rather than a revolution where it just kind of you know recycles the old out with the old leaders and with new leaders, and you know it goes down the same path of corruption because we're still working with trusted parties and intermediaries and assuming that these strangers have our best interests at heart. And so I really see this as an evolution. And again, yeah, it's, it's can't be stopped. Man, beautifully put. I'm a, uh, I, I think it was like, it was Bitcoin that showed me like all of the flaws of current systems, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's Twitter's like moderation it just helps you identify like the power structures that be, you know, whether you're listening to the blue check marks or uh, you're, you're listening to, to the government to like make big decisions for you that might compromise freedoms. I mean, it was like, it was me studying Bitcoin that I was like, Oh man, like this, this is really freedom technology where, you know, we, we are the ones with the power. Um, and we're not delegating that power to anyone, uh, which is like why we're all doing non-custodial stuff. It's uh, it was really, really revealing that it's just a completely different system that has exposed flaws in so many of our existing systems. It just it shows the cracks clear as day. Yeah, I feel like Satoshi's white paper because the focus is on trusted third parties. And that's really the crux of it and the concept of trust itself where people this, this concept of trust scales very poorly you know trust works well in very close you know family situations loved ones close friends and even then it breaks down quickly and so we're trying to run a society based on trust millions and millions of people trust is not doesn't scale doesn't scale at all and so now we have these systems where they're trust minimized as much as possible. And that's the only that's the only viable way forward for humanity. I just wanted to remind everyone about this situation when all many of high profile individuals, uh, their Twitter accounts got hijacked and then they started to post some scammy, send me Bitcoin and get two Bitcoins back kind of thing. So the question is, how can we trust anything at all on Twitter? You know, I believe that uh, like uh, anyone at any time can start some kind of subtle and more 
like uh, more difficult to realize scams so yeah I, I really I really sometimes getting getting lost and confused in what to trust and what not to trust that's a good point because you know the faster the information travels the harder it is to verify any information and so in the future, I feel like things like Bitcoin are probably going to be one of the only things you can trust, you know, wholeheartedly because you can verify it yourself. But in terms of like, you know, the GPT-3 AI bot that came out recently where it can just like write stories and it's completely coherent and completely understandable. It sounds like a human wrote it. You know, that's 2020. Imagine five years from now. No one's going to be able to discern if it's written by a human or AI or if images are being generated by an AI, or if they're actual photos, or if video is actually real or not. And so it's going to be a really obscure time for people. And a lot of people are going to not going to know what to do. And then, you know, that's where authority, government step back in and act as a savior. But not everyone's looking for a savior anymore. People are taking responsibility for themselves and going What's down those happen? rabbit holes. What's going to happen is people are going to develop permanent online identities, verifiable, trustable PGP signature type identities, where, uh, like in the real world, you learn to trust people based on their reputation, history of watching them say and do things. And um, <clears throat> the idea being that, um, like today, you have to don't trust verify, but at some point you trust something. We all trust something. We have to decide who we're going to trust and on what criteria. So for anybody having to learn about Bitcoin, if you're a child and your parents learned about multisig, and you know they, they got it all figured out for the last 20 years and you're growing up and they teach you what to do, you're going to probably trust them. They're probably going to have your best interest at heart. So... Um, the, the idea, I just want to throw this out there, in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, he talks about trust as the overlapping of character and competence. And ideally, we trust those people whose character we trust, that is, that we believe they're honest. But we also have to trust their competence, that they know what they're talking about. Because just because someone's honest doesn't mean that you could trust what they're telling you. I'm sure we could all think of people that are the most nicest, honest people, but you wouldn't trust them with how to fix your car or something because they don't know what they're talking about. So you got to consider that. And we all intuitively do. Um, but if you have it in your, in the, in, you know, in the front of your head, uh, you know, when you're trying to decide, do you trust a person, consider those two variables. You, what are you trying to trust? First of all, do you trust their character? In which case you, you have to figure out, you know, through references or whatnot, if they're trustworthy in, in the eyes of someone else. Uh, and then their competence based on whatever uh, metric you can look at uh, objectively, you know, what they've done in the world, you know, their accomplishments, whether they write code or GitHub commits or some other thing, you know, whether you're going to trust the developer or somebody to tell you what the code's actually doing that you could trust the software. But, you know, it's where we're all going through it now. It's really not going to change. Uh, throwing the AI into the mix, certainly not going to make it easier, but the principles never change. That's the, that's the important part. You have to get through the noise to the signal. You know, so that's, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're hoping. Hopefully we're putting that out for people that are listening to this, whether it's next week or five years from now. We, I hope the content stays relevant. If we keep the discussion at the level of principles like trust, uh, mm -hmm. that concept doesn't change. 
and uh, it's always around. You just have to figure out how to see it and work with it and, and, and know who to trust ultimately, you know, whole point of, uh, of doing the exercises, you know, like we're getting to know each other. We, we feel we trust each other. I trust Jester gave us an, a great presentation in the last episode, you know, he, uh, he seems sincere to me. I've never met the man in person, but I've talked to him online many times. I've listened to other stuff he said. Sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And he sounds like his heart's in the right place. So, so far, I trust both his character and his confidence. So, I just think that's how it goes in life. Well, yeah. Not to discount that trust is useless. That more so that I was pointing out that trust is like a higher bar of trust being set. And that it's, it's always been assumed to be this you know, very solid thing where trust is not, it's very fragile. You know, you don't give out trust very easily, but some people do. And that's, you know, how you end up, how we end up in these situations with power structures being organized the way they are is because that trust is given out too easily as opposed to what you were saying in terms of just having a higher standard of who you're trusting. Because yes, ultimately we're trusting, you know, we're trusting the sun's going to rise tomorrow, you know. It's done it a million other times, but we don't really know for sure that's going to happen tomorrow, but we trust it will. That's different than trusting a person. You're trusting physics that you... You're trusting the person who taught, taught you about the rotation of the planets and everything. And, um, you know, for whatever amount of time you've investigated during your lifetime, you're trusting the fact that enough people have verified that, you know, the sun comes up because no one stops it. It's impossible to stop it. You know, from a physics perspective, but trusting a person that's totally different. That's where character. Uh, that was just more of an example know. of yeah of that we have to trust something because yeah we know physics. Oh, yeah. But... Well, yeah. Well, life is all about trusting. You know, you learn to trust your own judgment on whether or not you can ride a bicycle with somebody that you've never ridden before because you've run ridden ones that are similar. You know, and then you get on it. I watched a guy on a video. He rigged the bicycle so that the wheel turned opposite of the handlebars. And he said it was the hardest thing to get used to. Uh, but eventually you could think, change your brain to think backwards. But the guy who invented it couldn't ride it for a while. He just kept falling. You know, it's like one of those things. So I don't know. Anyway, we, we learned to adapt, right? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you, Jim. And and bit consultants, I I think this is a a good combo. And and uh, we've been going about an hour, so I don't think I want to uh, get another topic going because then we'll be here for like two hours, and uh, we're trying to keep these sort of short. But um, yeah. Does anyone want to uh, say some last words on on the topic, and then and then we'll wrap it up. Maybe give some wisdom to the noobs out there or we can just wrap it up if you guys are talked out we can have the the cool off-air conversations all right well uh nick you wanna you wanna wrap it up sure thanks again for everyone for coming out tonight you guys really make the show it's fucking awesome just to kick back and relax and talk with all y'all so I really hope y'all come back next week. Beautiful. All right. Well, peace, guys. I think this is episode twenty nine or twenty eight. I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to recount. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming out, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. Peace.